Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. I want to welcome you to this message, the second of our Advent series. And Advent is our anticipation of the Savior. We talked a little bit about that in our last message of this uh, series, the first one that kicked it off. And we talked about the anticipation of awaiting the Messiah that the Jews had and Jesus coming and the anticipation of his arrival. We also talked about Advent as the second coming of Jesus. And we still have this in-between time where we recognize his coming has brought salvation to us. And yet we call out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, once again, as we await for you, our Savior. The first week, last week, we looked at this idea that Jesus is our hope. Uh, the first word that we focused on of the Advent season, hope. Jesus is our hope. And that it's not just being optimistic about the future. Well, in this message, we look at Jesus, our peace. Jesus, our peace. Not only that he brings peace, but Jesus is our peace. And so we're going to take some time throughout this message to look at what that means when we say that Jesus is our peace. Oftentimes when we talk about peace, we think about this idea of getting away from any type of conflict. When I was younger, there was a commercial that, uh, for a bath soap called Calgon. And the commercial that was most well known is one of a woman standing in the middle of the screen and in one corner a child, a baby, starts crying out just incessantly, just crying and crying. In the next corner of the screen is her boss barking out orders, shouting at her. Down below you had traffic. It says the child, the boss, the traffic. And then the last lower corner was an uh, image of a dog barking. And she just wants to pull her hair out. And the words that many of you would be able to say it along with me, Calgon, take me away. And then the next scene, it shows her taking this bath with Calgon uh, bath soap and uh, just blissful relaxation. So it was a, somewhat of a successful ad campaign because during that time you'd hear many people would shout out, Calgon, take me away in the midst of their troubled times. Well, if you don't remember that one, maybe you remember this more recent ad campaign from Southwest Airlines. It asked the question, do you want to get away? And that question was usually posed after somebody did something really ridiculously stupid. And one instance that I'm thinking of, it was two younger men who were playing a video game and one is talking about his the motion on his game and it's a baseball game and so he stands up from the sofa and he motions as he's taking a swing for this video game. His friend who's seated on the couch he looks down at him and he says now throw me a pitch and so the friend picks up his controller and just hurls it but instead of just the motion he lets go of the controller crashes into the screen as it collapses down below. The one who's holding the 
controller in a bat motion looks down at his friend, he looks back up at him, and you hear this sound from Southwest Airlines say, do you want to get away? Well, that's, again, the common idea that we often have when it comes to finding peace, that when there's conflict, when there's trouble, we do feel this tug to get away from it all. And that is a, a way that we can get away from conflict uh, or approach or deal with conflict is this idea of escaping it, getting away from it. Whether that's getting away to the mountains, uh, getting away to a Calgon bath, or even getting away to your prayer closet and spending time with Jesus. These are all ways that we can get away from conflict or get away from what it is that's distracting us or weighing us down. And, and those are good approaches, especially the one getting into our prayer closet with Jesus. But you know, there's another way of dealing with conflict. It's the way that Jesus points us to. Instead of just conflict avoidance, Jesus draws us into being a peacemaker. Instead of finding peace by evading or escaping the conflict, Jesus points us to a way that we can bring peace to conflict. We can be peacemakers. Well, as we go deeper into today's message, uh, we're going to watch a Bible project video similar to what we did in the last message. And they're going to talk about this idea of peace, the shalom of God that comes to us and that we bring to the circumstances around us. So would you join with me in prayer as I light the candle of peace, our peace that we find in Jesus Christ, who is our peace. Lord, as we come to your word, May you open our eyes to this truth that you are truly our peace. That not only do we find an escape from the conflicts of this life, from the tribulations of this life, but we actually are full of your spirit and able to bring peace to areas of conflict. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We bless it to our hearing and we thank you for the gift that it is and that it multiplies out of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's watch this Bible Project video on Jesus, our peace. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. 
The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. I always get so much insight from Bible Project videos, and I appreciate their ministry so much. If you ever have the opportunity, uh, go out to their website, BibleProject.com, and you'll be able to see many other resources. It's such a, such a blessing. Well, for the remainder of our time, uh, I would like to spend some time looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And it really will help us with this idea of what it means to not only find or experience peace in Jesus, but that we can bring peace to the situations in our life and in the lives of those around us. Now, as we approach this passage, we're really looking at a church and people who were in deep division. People who had not just a division in their own experience, but this division goes back thousands and thousands of years. It's a conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was a common conflict in the early church because you had Jews who had such a history with God and you had Gentiles who had just come into relationship with Jesus Christ and you were bringing them together in one church. And there was a lot of uh, rubbing against one another in an irritating type of way and it arose 
uh, created many types of conflicts within the early church. Now, first, the Jews, they had a covenant relationship with God. They were the ones of the promise. They were the ones in whom God gave the law and the different ordinances. God had said, you're going to uphold your part of this relationship, and I'm going to be faithful in my part of the relationship. But here's the problem. The Jews were never able to keep up their part of the covenant. They were lawbreakers, just like every human being since the creation of mankind. So when God initiated this covenant and he gave them the law and he said, now follow this and you'll be my unique people among the nations and through you I will bless the nations. It didn't take very long for them to discover that God was faithful and true, but they were the covenant breakers. God describes, oftentimes in the Old Testament, he describes Israel as a nation much like one who continues to commit adultery, habitual adulterer over and over, who can't stay faithful to their beloved. God tells them in this way, this is how you relate to me. I'm faithful and I'm true in my covenant, but you, Israel, you continually go after other gods. You continually pursue things that best suit you, but they don't honor me. So in this, the Jews had a conflict. They had a conflict with God because the covenant was not kept on their behalf. And so they had broken relationship and conflict with God. They had conflict with other people, non-Jews, because they had this promise and they were supposed to live a certain way and they were the ones of the covenant. And so they had this tension of conflict with God, conflict with Gentiles as well. The other group, the Gentiles, or non-Jews, they had no hope at all. The only option they had was to convert to Judaism. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to start and follow the law because without the promises, without the covenant, Gentiles had no hope at all. But you can see the problem with that is that even if they became followers of the Jewish faith and followed the laws, they were going to break them eventually. And so again, they had conflict with God as well. Whether they remained Gentiles or whether they began to follow Jewish practices. So here's the problem. You had within the early church, you had Jews who had the covenant. You had Gentiles who didn't have the covenant, who had come to Christ. And together, the Jewish followers of Jesus, the Gentile followers of Jesus had now come together and they were finding themselves at odds with one another and not understanding how it is that they could come together and be a church in unity and live in peace with one another. Well, this is what happens when we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul is addressing this very idea. And he says, listen, Jewish brother in Christ, Gentile brother or sister in Christ, you're both in the same place. You're both at a loss. You're both in conflict with God and with one another, except that Jesus Christ has brought peace. Ephesians 2, 13 to 22 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ah, that's such a beautiful passage of Scripture, such an incredible picture of what it is that God is working as he brings peace to us. And not only does he bring it, but it says Christ himself is our peace. He points to the fact in this passage that Jews, you're distant from Gentiles, and Gentiles, you're distant from your Jewish brothers in Christ, and you're all distant from God, except that Christ Jesus has broken down the barrier in himself. As he's crucified on the cross, he has brought us all together. This is the human predisposition in conflict. We're in conflict with those around us. We're in conflict certainly with God by the offense of our lives and, and sin that we lift up and we hold on to our sin above God. So the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, we are born into this world with conflict. But he says, praise be to God. Here's our hope is that Jesus is our peace with God and with one another. Instead of coming up with a Jewish solution, instead of coming up with a Gentile solution, God says, I'm going to bring a human solution, a heavenly solution for humanity in Jesus Christ. He says, yes, I'm going to kill hostility, but not just for Jews and not just for the Gentiles, but the whole of humanity. I am bringing a solution. And that solution is, is, is the life and death of Jesus Christ. And he himself will be our peace. So whatever exists to create division between people, God says, I'm going to take it upon myself in my son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to kill hostility. I'm going to kill division on the cross. Even more amazing is that whatever exists, anything and everything that creates a wall or division between people, Jesus says he took it on the cross and he killed it so that there is no longer a dividing barrier between Jew and Gentile male and female, rich or poor, any of these separating points between humanity, God says it's been crucified, it's been killed upon the cross, and that Jesus himself becomes our peace. So now, hear this, so now there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can divide humanity in Christ. 
that he has taken it all and crucified it to the cross in his death. And as he was buried and then resurrected, he comes up the resurrected Christ, bringing true life to Jew, to Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, young, old. It doesn't matter. The dividing walls have all been broken down in Christ. In Christ, conflict is disarmed, crucified, and the dividing wall is broken down. I hope I can get an amen out of you from that. So here's the first thing I really hope you see in this passage in Ephesians chapter 2 as we think about this Advent season and Jesus being our peace. And here it is. Jesus Christ is our peace because on the cross he killed the root of division, the power that sin had to divide us from God and from one another. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that Conflict doesn't have power to divide us anymore because that root of sin has been disarmed and broken down by Jesus Christ. This is astounding. And just the fact that I make that claim, but it's not my claim. It's the claim that Paul is making in this passage. It's the claim that scripture makes over and over that in Christ, conflict is absolutely powerless to divide you, to divide me from God and also from other, uh, other people. It's almost like a missile that doesn't have an explosive. It's now conflict is just a big piece of metal. It's an obstacle that needs to be moved around, but it doesn't have that explosiveness to cause total devastation. It's like a matchstick without the head on it. Now it's just a stick. Yes, it, conflict exists, but it no longer has that ability to ignite and create a flame and division between people. Okay, how about a car without an engine? Then it just becomes lawn art. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's not as good of an illustration. I think you get the point, though. When Jesus Christ disarms conflict, he says, I'm going to take the hostility out of it, and you still might have a disagreement, you still might not be completely in agreement with everybody, but it no longer has the sinful power to divide you from God or from other people. This is absolutely astounding. But I do hope you heard that second part, that conflict still exists. And I don't think you need me to tell you that. You still have conflict, and I still have conflict. Christians still have conflict. But the reality is, is that we see throughout Scripture and the work that Jesus Christ has done, it says that he has broken down the dividing wall. He has taken that division upon himself on the cross, and he disarmed it so that it no longer had the power to cause division between God and people. This is a critical piece. So in Christ, conflict still exists, but it no longer has that power to divide and separate. So here's the second and last thing that I want to highlight out of the passage that we read earlier. Jesus Christ is our peace, and in him we are building our lives together in a way that creates a brand new community. Jesus Christ is our peace, but not just me individually, and not just you by yourself. The purpose of the peace of Christ isn't so that we can get away from it all, 
The purpose of peace in Christ is that so we can be united and be built together to become the temple of God together. You remember when I talked about Calgon, take me away, or Southwest Airlines, do you want to get away? <laughs> Those are ways that we can escape conflict, but the truth is the conflict is still there. We're just putting it on hold for a moment to get away from it. So when we go into our prayer closet, the invitation really isn't for us to escape our conflict. It's to get quiet enough with Scripture and with the Holy Spirit for Him to tell us how we can become peacemakers instead of just peace escapers. How we can disarm conflict as Jesus did and we can build ourselves together with others and together we can become the temple of God in which His Spirit dwells. All people who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord are being filled up with the Spirit as the temple of God. But, but catch this, this is important. Not just you alone, we, we do have that. We have the Holy Spirit and dwells upon the, indiv in the individual. But Scripture in the New Testament, we're reminded that that's not the whole picture. That Christ is building his church together, stone upon stone, to be a community in which his spirit dwells. And that community is built together and those stones are placed when the dividing well is, wall is broken down in Jesus Christ. So again, here's how Paul described it to the Jews and the Gentiles in Ephesus. He wanted to be clear that this division, this infighting that they were dealing with, he said, you need to stop it. You need to put that down and work towards unity right now. Because Christ has already disarmed the conflict, and so what you're doing is taking it back up and creating divisions where Christ has already removed them. So Paul was adamant about it. He said, not only are you to disarm them, you're supposed to now be built together. Beginning in verse 19, he said, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen, Paul says, he says, you're not two houses. You're not the Jewish house and the Gentile house. You're not the wealthy and the poor. You're not the male, the female. You're not a house divided. He says, you are the house. You are the people of God, the children of God, the household of God being built together. You're one house. And in that one house is where his spirit comes and dwells. He himself has created the peace, the bond of peace that you need. So Paul says, listen, cut that out. Stop trying to create division between yourselves. Stop trying to make up reasons to be divided. He says that has been done away with in Christ. Now you be the family of God together. Work at it. Apply yourself to walk in unity with one another and what it takes to build uh, this house of God in which his spirit uh, is put in that house of God. He descends on one house. 
He descends on the body of Christ. His spirit dwells and God's presence is, is there. So he took those stones of hostility, the stone of hostility that was building up dividing walls between people and, he created, and that was creating this dividing wall between us. And instead, now, as Paul says, this is what Jesus did. He, he broke down that wall. And so he said, now take the stones of your life. And instead of putting them back to a new wall, take the stones of your life and place yours right next to one other follower of Jesus. And let's start building the house of God. Let's not take the stone of our life and create a new wall. He said, no, no, no. Take the stone of your life and place it next to another person so that you can build the house of God. So he's making this temple. That's what he's wanting to do. But let me finish with two questions and addressing two ways that you might be working with the stone of your life. Let me ask you this question. What are you doing with the stone of your life? Have you been building up divisions between yourself and other people? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now about that individual that you have taken the stone of your life and you have set it firmly between yourself and them? And this is a stone, a dividing stone that's keeping you out of a relationship with another person. Is there a group of people that you've taken the stone of your life and you've placed it firmly between yourself and them? And you've given yourself permission to not talk or even have to think about them because they don't matter. They don't see things the way you see them. They don't believe things the way you believe them. The world doesn't work the same way that you think it works for them. And so this stone is firmly set between you. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now and saying, you know what? In Christ, he tore down that dividing wall of hostility that separated you from other people. There's absolutely no reason that you have division with another person except that they're building stone walls between you or you're participating in your building stone walls. I realize it takes two to tango, they say, two to create conflict. But I want to ask you, what's your part in it? Are you breaking down walls? Are you a peacemaker or are you a wall builder? Because it says Jesus Christ is our peace and that he broke down that dividing wall of hostility. And he's inviting you to take the stone of your life and join it with another person next to you and build up the house of God in which his spirit dwells. He's wanting us to put ourselves in his hands and submit to his work as he makes us together, his people, the temple in which his spirit dwells. What are you doing with your stone? You can try and rebuild those divisions, but that wouldn't be God's heart for you. He would say, would you join me in this work of being a peacemaker and taking the stone of your life and building this temple in which the spirit of God dwells? If you want the peace of Jesus and the fullness of spirit, it can begin today with you confessing that you've been using the stone of your life to build walls between you and other people. You, you've been participating in that act of division instead of unifying and bring, being a peacemaker. The invitation today is for you to confess it. Ask God to forgive you 
and then surrender the stone of your life and say, Lord, build me into the temple, into that community of your people where we're being built up and your spirit dwells. For those who have walls between yourself and God, it's another way in which we build a wall, not just between people, but sometimes there are individuals who have taken the stone of their life and they've put it firmly between themselves and God. You regularly list all the reasons why God can't love you. And you regularly walk in a life of sin and defiance against God because you want to give him reasons to reject you. So you take the stone of your life and you place it between God and you say, God, I'm unacceptable. I'll never be acceptable. I'll never be the person you want me to be. And so you continue to build that wall of hostility between yourself and God. This invitation and this message is for Jesus Christ to be your peace. You need to understand, Jesus broke down that wall on the cross. He was crucified so that the wall of hostility and division and conflict between you and God would no longer exist. And so God's asking you today, why are you building the wall between the two of us that I tore down in Christ? Why don't you give me the stone of your life and instead of trying to create division between God with loving your ways or accepting rejection and this feeling that you have from God, why don't you just surrender your life to Jesus today and just say, Lord, I give you the stone of my life that you would start to build something as opposed to what I've been doing, which is creating a wall. I, I give it to you so that you can create me into the man or woman of God that you want me to be, a place where your spirit can dwell in which I can live fully for Jesus Christ. He's made that opportunity for you. Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of hostility between us and others, but also between us and God. And so I want to ask you, what are you doing with the stone of your life today? Are you a wall builder? Or are you a temple builder, participating with Jesus and creating a dwelling where his spirit dwells? Well, we're going to take a moment and, and have communion, but I want you to take a moment, and if you need to, even just pause this video and just surrender the stone of your life to Jesus Christ and just say, Lord, I want to be built up for your temple. And then we'll come back together in just a moment and receive communion together. The dividing wall of hostility broken down when Christ was crucified on the cross. And so as we receive communion today, we remember Jesus, our peace. That there's nothing that can divide us from God because of what Jesus has done. There's nothing that can divide us from other people because of what Jesus has done. The question is, Lord, what am I doing with this crucified body, this blood that's been shed for me? Am I joining with you in your work or am I working against you? Well, as we come to the table, I want to invite you as you hold the bread and the cup that you would remember this work of Christ and you would just surrender yourself to him and recognize the fullness of his work in being our peace.
Lord, we thank you for your body, that you died on the cross, and every single division that could exist between us and the Father, you absorbed that division, you absorbed that sin, you absorbed, Lord, all of those reasons that we couldn't know the Father before, and all the reasons that we violated covenants, and all the ways in which we, we were worthy of rejection by him. You took all of those upon yourself in your flesh, in your body, when you were crucified. And so as we receive the bread, we remember that there's nothing that exists now that keeps us from the Father. There's nothing that exists now that in you that can keep us from one another and that's worth fighting about and creating division about. But in you, your church can be one. And so we thank you for your body surrendered for us. Thank you for breaking down the wall of hostility that we could be one with the Father and with each other. Amen. Receive the bread. Lord, this cup, your shed blood, reminds us that we no longer need to shed blood over one another, that you poured yours out so that we could walk in peace, that we could be peacemakers, that we don't just escape from conflict, but we address it. We address it through the cross. We apply the blood of Christ to those things that divide us, that would otherwise cause us to be separated. We, we say your blood is enough and that just as God has forgiven us through Christ Jesus, Lord, so we can forgive one another. That our sin, though it would be so great that, Lord, you have found it in yourself to forgive us, so too, Lord, we're empowered through your blood shed for us that we too can forgive others. So we receive the blood, we receive this cup, not in a way of unworthiness, that we accept your forgiveness, but don't extend it to others. No, Lord, we embrace the forgiveness that we receive through this shed blood, but we also extend the forgiveness because we've been forgiven. We thank you for the cup. Amen. Now, as we conclude, I just ask the Lord's blessing upon you. May you fully experience Jesus, your peace. May you see dividing walls of hostility that would keep you separated, keep others separated from you, broken down. May the Holy Spirit empower you to be a peacemaker, to help people find relationship again with God the Father and with one another. And may you be built, be built together with others in his church to be a place where his spirit dwells and God himself is present. God bless you as you receive his peace and you walk as a peacemaker in his church. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org.
If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.